what a fantastic swath. I mean, everybody's got some good credits and some bad credits on their IMDb, except for Denny, who might stand in the way of progress. Spike Spiegel! Spiegel! Wow. Wow. That is true. But how was your Thanksgiving, Steven? Yeah, it's, it's been a, a little bit since we recorded the last episode. What was the last episode? And for those of you that don't know, this is the sequel episode to the previous episode where we covered Cowboy Bebop 1998. And this is us being the cult podcast covering the Netflix live action adaptation TV series Cowboy Bebop that just came out a little over a week ago now. The one and only. <laughs> Boy, was it quite a ride. I'm still on the ride. Because <laughs> I might never get off. I could die on this. It's, <laughs> it's vastly different from the anime. And if you go back to our last episode, you'll hear us uh, more or less gush about how good that anime was and how influential it was to the culture at the time and has continued to be. Earth culture. Yeah. <laughs> and. <laughs> Sorry. To pop culture. Well. Also to the culture. I was thinking like globally, you know, because it was it, it spread it, pretty it quickly was, was to the Western audience. Sensation. Yeah, but also it's also <laughs> also it's funny Earth culture because it's a spacefaring anime no, or, or I, a story. Yeah, I get it. I'm feeling a little silly right now because I just had six Rice Krispie treats. How many Rice Krispie treats did you have? I had like 600 calories worth of Rice Whoa. Krispie treats. Yeah, they're 100 each. Yeah, then I had 400. <laughs> <laughs> what a rush, right? <laughs> I feel like Kramer in Seinfeld. (laughs) Coming running through the office like... Anyway. (laughs) Incredible. Oh, yeah. Famous in in culture. Anyway. (laughs) You could hear us gush about that on the last episode. And here we are now. After many, many years have gone by, there have been many attempts at a live-action adaptation of... Cowboy Bebop, the anime, which again was a 26 episode run. Each episode was about 22 minutes long and uh, explored these characters as they tried to figure out their lives. And many of them were ambivalent to their surroundings as they tried to do bounty hunting. Yeah. Some existential ennui, I think is the how the French call it. On who? Ennui. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a story about loneliness. Yes. And Netflix finally got the rights a couple of years back and announced that they were going to adapt this live action version of this anime. And in the past, I don't know, decade, we've had a few attempts at adapting animes into live action. Regrettably. We had Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson. Did you ever see that? No. I did. And <laughs> most of these, by the way, were famously unsuccessful and so going into this, we were very skeptical about how this would be because most animes that are trying to be adapted into live action by westernized people, Western culture, it never really translates and doesn't translate as well. And usually it ends up not being good. So yeah, we had Ghost in the Shell. We had Death Note on Netflix as well. I saw Full Metal Alchemist, which was actually a Japanese adaptation of the anime that was dubbed into English. And there have been a few others. Attack on Titan had a Japanese live-action adaptation. Yeah. And also, you could also probably count 
Guillermo del Toro's specific rim, because even though it wasn't an adaptation of anime, that whole movie was influenced by anime from anime, and that was one of probably the most successful versions of like something being inspired by anime and being adapted for live screen for live action. Chris Nolan's Inception uh, takes a few cues from a Japanese anime called Paprika, I think. Oh, I think I knew that. So yeah, many many times though, when when it's tried to be interpreted into real people, real time, it just doesn't work out so well. It's often funny because a lot of the hardcore fans of the anime will say the detriment to the live action adaptation not succeeding is because it didn't adhere closely to the anime itself. And it's usually in those deterrents that we find fault in what could have been a more successful adaptation of a live action anime. Not just successful, but also a more entertaining live action version of the anime. And that is unfortunately the case I have found, we have found, with this adaptation of Cowboy Bebop. There's a lot of things it does well, and then there's a lot of things it does not do well. And most of the things it does not do well are when it tries to deter from the original anime. And it's hard because I'm so closely sentimental toward the anime that it's hard for me to not want it to be that and not want it to be what it, in my opinion, could have been. But I am curious often about other people's opinions that haven't had any previous acquaintance with the anime and are going into this, just the live action version alone with fresh eyes. I have heard a couple accounts from people and and generally they think it's pretty good, not great. It does kind of suffer from you know, Netflix budgetary restraints and cheesiness. That's a little bit of that Witcher season one. Witcher season one, in my opinion, had much more of an identity than this. This feels very identity-less, which is unfortunate. And we talked about in the previous episode too, how multi-genre the original anime actually was. And I think this live action version tries to capture that multi-genre aspect but even within that it still feels like it doesn't really know what it is or what it's doing until the final couple episodes uh, i really felt that in episode 9 and 10 because it's a 10 episode season it kind of came into its own and it did a few things really really well it kind of did what netflix always does with its shows and sort of does the pull of the curtain back and sort of the reveal of what makes the show actually tick. And it did that in episode nine, and then it had, you know, the finale of episode 10. Um, And I thought those were its strongest episodes because it did that. And Netflix often does that with their shows. But the rest of the show felt very much frenetic, I should say. It was all over the place. And most of the characters had new quirks or new personality traits that the original characters in the anime didn't have most of them to the detriment of those characters, in my opinion. Um, Why don't we talk about the cast really quick? Yeah. And then we can talk about their characters after we familiarize ourselves with who they are. Our leading man, Spike Spiegel. (laughs) Spiegel! Played by John Cho. Everybody knows John Cho. He was Sulu in Star Trek. He also was famous because of... uh, Oh, Harold and Kumar. Harold and Kumar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jet was played by Mustafa Shakir. Who was in Netflix's Luke Cage. Very good. Pretty much the best part of this show. Yeah. Faye Valentine was played by Daniela Pineda. Pineda. Julia was Elena Satine. Yes, she was. She was. 
Vicious was Alex Hassel. Uh huh. And and then spoilers. Warning, spoilers. We got a surprise visit from the character Ed, who uh, we were making fun of earlier in the beginning of the cast. Played by Eden Perkins, newcomer. Eden Perkins is... Non-binary. Non-binary. That's the expression I could not recall. At least that's what they said on the internet. (laughs) And that is in the last two minutes of the final episode to tease for the next season. And how did you feel about what we saw in those last two minutes, Stephen. Well, we should also say, can you find the name of... Anna, I think, would be Tamara Tooney. Yeah, and then... Gren? Yeah, Gren. Gren was played by another non-binary actor named Mason Alexander Park, who I started to follow on Instagram and I absolutely love. John Noble was in there too, huh? As they're, they're going to be in the Neil Gaiman Sandman, and they're playing Desire. Desire. Yeah. When does that come out? That comes out next year. I have a lot of high hopes for that. A lot more than I had for this. Anyway, so Spike Spiegel played by John Cho. So the thing that is unfortunate about his live action interpretation is in the anime, he's very just, like I said, ambivalent about everything, nonchalant. He just has this laissez-faire attitude. He doesn't care about anything. And in the live action interpretation, he's laughing. He's making jokes. He uh, seemed aggressively cheeky. Yeah, he's a little bit cheekier. Kind of an asshole, especially to Jet. Yeah, he can he can come off as an asshole. And Spike wasn't that way at all in the anime. He was... It's very blasé. It's like he didn't want to be where he was, but you still knew that he cared. So everywhere he went, it's like he, he kind of had this attitude, like he was living inside of a dream. Mm-hmm. Almost like he was self-aware that he was living in the Matrix and, and he just didn't want to be there. But you still knew that he cared about the people around him. And that was the shift to making him sort of this quippy, I'm going to say these quick-witted jokes all the time character that kind of comes off as an asshole. It's just not a very good change for the character. I think they should have stuck with the character that we saw because the whole show centers around the slow reveals of why Spike is the way that he is. And we sort of miss that there. And so when they finally ask us to care about the character toward the end of episodes nine and 10 in the live action adaptation, you kind of just don't care as much. But at the same time, nine was the episode that did make you care about John Cho and Spike. So right before the show ends. Yeah, right before the show ends. <laughs> so, but you right spend <laughs> eight episodes kind of not really liking the character. And up until episode nine, the heart of the show is Mustafa Shakir's Jet, who was the closest adaptation that we saw. He even sounded like the uh, English dub version of the guy's voice. It was incredible to watch. He killed that role. Like, mm-hmm. he did such a good job. But the main deviation here for this character was he didn't have a daughter in the anime. She didn't play a huge part like she does for him in the live-action adaptation, where it seems like his whole character arc is centered around him trying to, I don't know, help his daughter, get to his daughter, be there for his daughter in some way. So that's that's a huge deviation. And then for Faye Valentine, they made Faye in the live action adaptation what they are making a lot of female characters these days, which is sort of overly strong, overly verbose, loud, empowered for sure, maybe lesbian, 
But like a lot of, I think producers in Hollywood right now think that that's a pretty progressive move for women. And, and I do agree in some cases, it's good to have a strong character like that female character who is outspoken and telling everyone what's on her mind constantly and coming in and rescuing the boys in the end. There's no subtlety. Yeah. There's zero subtlety with Faye's character. In the anime, she's all about subtlety. She has self-doubt like a real human being. She's not overly cocky. She does have a large degree of confidence in the anime, so much so that she can hang doing the job with Spike and Jet, but she has these these moments of weakness that really make her human and quite beautiful on the inside of also a character. Also on the outside. Yeah. Well, she's drawn to be very voluptuous or... Yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> she's drawn to be an allure for people that enjoy the female body type adolescent boys yeah but her weaknesses in the anime make her a very interesting and engaging character and she also has this large reveal toward the end of the anime that they revealed far too early here in the live action adaptation which is this vhs videotape of her when she was younger and it's revealed late in the anime that she was cryogenically frozen and woke up 80 years later 70 years later And this VHS is the only thing that she has to put kind of the puzzle pieces of her life back together. And that piece of information in the live action adaptation comes almost immediately, like from the moment that we meet her. And I think that was a huge, huge, I keep using the word atrocity, but it was egregious. (laughs) Yeah. There's no time for any mystery or curiosity to build up. She just like drops the line. And that's the character that she is in this show. This is just like a huge detriment to what the character was in the anime. And Vicious was done well, though. I would say they really tried to flush out his character more. It gave him much more of a backstory. They made him kind of a whiny. A little bit of a bitch. Like kind of like a Malfoy type character. Yeah. I'm only halfway through the show, but in what I've seen, he's just kind of getting ragdolled by the world. Yeah. <laughs> and in the show, he's a very threatening presence. Yes. And then Julia has this very large deviation. She kind of plays this like, in the anime, she's the femme fatale. She's the girl that's going to screw you over and does screw Spike over intentionally or unintentionally. It's very unclear until sort of the last episode when they team up and she's guns blazing alongside Spike. She can hold her own as a character. In this show, she's played to be the weak female character who's wide-eyed innocent. And then all of a sudden toward the end of the season again this is spoilers she's the one to basically stab spike in the back and shoot him for not coming to get her or you know not loving her like she should have been loved which basically makes her into the same character as Faye, and then you know shoots him out of the stained glass window and he falls to the ground and fully betrayed and what a twist oh man my expectations were subverted. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ed, you know, is only in the show for two minutes. And what we saw was almost a direct translation from what you see in the anime, but it doesn't work. The most faithfully and unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I really do think there's a way to do Ed what, like right. I think they should play down her quirks, but still make her quirky and likable, but just not make her so... I don't know, annoying, because I think she will grate on people if they continue down the road that they have started in season two. I also think they should change her hair. 
but I do have hopes for her in the future seasons if we do get renewed for a second season because I do actually think that the casting director of the show knows what they're doing. I think I think everyone is really well casted. I just think they're poorly written. Yeah. And anyway, that's kind of my review, our review of the live action Cowboy Bebop. We both love the anime and here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Would you recommend this Netflix series, Steven? No. I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I would honestly, it's funny because I was, I, I will be very unabashedly honest here. I really like the pop culture NPR podcast a lot. They're very short, very to the point, very intelligent. And I listened to their review of the live action Cowboy Bebop. And one of the things that the head of that podcast, Glenn Weldon said is that because he had no previous affiliation with the anime. But he said that he started watching the live action adaptation and he was intrigued. So he went to watch the anime and started watching anime and never went back to watching the live action version. So I would honestly just recommend watching the anime because like we were saying in the last episode, it is considered sort of a gateway anime and could potentially open your eyes up to other really good stories that are out there that are being told in the anime style. And, you know, at the end of the day, even if you never watch another anime again after Cowboy Bebop, I think it's worth your time. What about you? Yeah, you'll be better for it. Are you asking me if I would recommend this? Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) I have enjoyed some of what I've seen, but it is weaker in every way. So it's kind of just unfortunate. It's like when you've had sidecar donuts and then you just go eat a regular donut. So many people won't know what you're talking about, but the people that do. We did an ad for Sidecar. In the first episode. Yeah. Was it the first episode? Well, it was a while ago. We came out guns blazing. Yeah. It's like having the best donut you've ever had. Yeah. And then going to a thing that is still by definition a donut, but it's very kind of just. It's almost like not even a donut anymore. But I'm I'm particularly sad because I really liked a lot of what this show was going for in terms of like, I actually kind of dug the campy style of the aesthetic yeah. Uh, and the way, even when the budget fluctuated, obviously, on set, I didn't mind it. Everything on this hinged on the writing for me, and uh, so much of it was just egregiously bad. Not even like in terms of character assassination, which there was plenty of that, which is fine. You know, you can do your own thing in an adaptation, but yikes on some of the dialogue. Just kind of hard to get through. Netflix does have a 1.5 times speed setting, though. So <laughs> if you're thinking about turning a 40-minute show into a 30-minute show, that's possible. That is factual. That's how the math checks out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I um, did that, I did that <laughs> a couple times. I don't usually do that, but here I did that. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's really crazy, honestly, is I went back and watched what's called The Lost Session, which was a little like two-and-a-half-minute preview that they did to promote the show. Is that with the editing? Yeah. And that was filmed and captured so well that like, I, I honestly, I was like, why couldn't the show have been this? And that was another thing about the live action version. Like it just wasn't shot very well. It wasn't edited very well. What the hell? (laughs) Yeah. All the uh, askew angles. It was like, are we just doing this to do it? Who's in charge? There are moments where there was just like clear exposition of plot scenes. And I'm like, you could have just at least shot this well to make it interesting, but instead, this is the scene that's making me turn on 1.5 times speed. Yeah. Because I, I just don't care. Nobody cares that this scene is taking place. Yeah. And uh, that's that's kind of what we're talking about. It's just John, Mustafa, and uh, Daniela deserve better, I think. 
because I think they're good actors. But and honestly, if you just played John Cho to be more apathetic and indifferent, I think he would have actually been a really good Spike Spiegel. Uh, and it's really unfortunate that he was written, the character was written, and he was directed to be the character that he was. Because, And I get it, because I think they're trying to make him more likable for a Western audience. But I think it would have been more interesting for a wider audience to just make him a very apathetic person. To just do what the anime did? Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> and that's that's the point, yeah. So it's not impossible to make a good anime live-action adaptation, is what you're saying. But it's just really hard because people don't trust what worked the first time. <laughs> well, you get those westernized opinions trickling into the production. and Are all western opinions bad, Stephen? Do you really want me to answer that? <laughs> well, we have a couple of good ideas. America gave us donuts. <laughs> David Lynch. Race cars. <laughs> <laughs> but even that, like Formula One, is the thing that people loved most. And that's a global, international thing. It has nothing well, to do. We should learn from our betters. Then. Yeah. Or just hire the Cole Popcast guys to do your adaptation. Those guys. And give us free... Donuts. Yeah. <laughs> we, we go nuts for donuts. Free rain. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, because if they try to rein us in, you know, it's going to come out the way that they want and not the way that it should be. And then it will suck. I wonder if it was Chris Yost and like his team or if it was like someone at Netflix who was trying to make these big calls you know i do i can say that yoko kano's score yeah was fantastic that's and, right they got her as, as she always is and her band they're called the Seatbelts, and they're this. super super good and i love their new version of tank which is the intro mm-hmm. song that we will play right now 